Hi, and welcome to The Flow, presented by Herewex, a female-focused extension of Haemophilia Ontario, a not-for-profit dedicated to supporting the lives of those living with inherited bleeding disorders. I'm Natalie Filbert. And I'm Amy Griffith, and we're here to help lead the revolution for women's bleeding disorder care. A note before we begin that this is a safe place for anyone who finds value in the content, regardless of their gender identity or their reason for being here. A bit of context about me before I get started. I am affected by von Willebrand's type 2A. I am the only member in my family who is affected. I do not have any siblings. I do do prophylaxis, but I'll get into that a little bit later when I talk about treatment. Okay. So the way I have broken this down is I wanted to talk about my experience with periods as a woman on top of my experience with periods as somebody with a bleeding disorder on top of things that I wish I'd known and that I'm hoping by talking about them that other people will know and they'll be able to prepare for themselves or for their daughters or for anyone in their life who menstruates regardless of gender. Okay, so this is the periods, the truth, and what I wish I'd known. So I do have a small disclaimer. When I do these presentations and these talks, I like to keep them light and along with that comes up some humor. So I like to preface that at first because I think a lot of breaking down stereotypes when it comes to periods is that we do have to learn how to laugh at them as well as own them at the same time. I do like to make light of the situation while as well being very serious about the fact that we do have huge gaps and we need to fill them and there needs to be change immediately. Okay, so here's the thing about periods. As a woman, we all know, or most of us know, periods are complicated. And what makes them so complicated is that we don't talk about them. Periods are a very taboo topic. We don't talk about them to the people that count, and we also don't talk about them in ways that are factual or actually beneficial to our healthcare. And, and by doing that, we're actually creating barriers to our healthcare. So for example, if we don't talk about the way that we bleed, we are not giving the correct information to our caregivers. It's really difficult because in, by information sharing, we are learning how to take care of ourselves. So we have to break down first and foremost that barrier to being open and honest and talking about our periods. And that actually comes from just being a woman who menstruates to begin with, or a person who menstruates to begin with. And then on top of that, we've also got the extra barrier of being a woman with a bleeding disorder because we are setting new benchmarks for ourselves because we don't bleed the way that other people do. Or we may not even bleed the way that our mothers or our grandmothers or our sisters do based on whether or not they are affected, which was the case that I had because I was learning this and setting my own benchmarks for the beginning. The thing about periods right now is that we really don't talk about them. And by, when I say we, I mean everybody, and that needs to change. The first things first, I like to talk about labels. I find that labels, these are all some common labels that people will use instead of just saying period. And even when they say period, typically people will sort of, you know, when I'm on my period, you know, it's not something that people are very comfortable talking about and especially women. And I find this really interesting because every person who's ever gone through a sexual education class or has had a conversation with their caregiver, everyone alive in the world knows that women menstruate. It's really the worst kept secret. However, 
it's ironic that it's something that we're so uncomfortable talking about and that we're so uncomfortable labeling for what it is. So I always encourage, and I encourage this in education as well, when it comes to the, these types of conversations, whether it be reproductively, whether it be biologically, is to use the appropriate terms. And the reason I do that is because by using these labels, what we're doing is we're actually breaking down the conversation before it even starts. So by calling it something like Shark Week, Crimson Wave, Code Red, Bloody Mary, Girl Flu, The Curse, et cetera, while they're very funny and you can use them in conversation in context, when it comes to in a moment where you're offering education to somebody, so when you're talking about your period to somebody who's asked you genuine questions and they want to learn, it's so important to use the appropriate terms, menstruation, menorrhagia, or period, simply because it identifies the term for what it is. And then when they go to research it later, it's something that they have a starting point to do. And while that seems obvious to us, for somebody who may be English as their second language, it may be something that isn't actually known to them that these things have labels. So it's really important, at least in my perspective, that we call a period what it is, be really strong about it, say it with force, you know, be period proud, try and avoid the nicknames when it comes to moments of education or when you're having conversations. However, of course, when you're joking with your friends, these are hilarious and we've all used them and continue to use them. But a lot of the time it comes from discomfort of actually staying the word period or saying the word menstruation and a lot of the times it's not us who are uncomfortable with it it is the person we are talking to we are afraid of making them uncomfortable and I really encourage people to break that down and start getting comfortable with it because that's where these conversations start that's when these conversations start to become natural and when they become natural for us they'll become natural for everybody else because there's nothing worse than talking to somebody about something that's already making them uncomfortable for you to be uncomfortable in return it's not going to make them any more comfortable so my story in a nutshell, my period started at 15. I was quite fortunate because a lot of girls are starting quite young. And that is something that really is a conversation. It's really up to your discretion when you start to have those conversations with your, if you're, if you're here because you're a mother and you want to talk to your, to your daughters, or whether it's something that you are having a difficult time communicating within your friend group, that's really up to your discretion. But I started at 15. Conveniently, I was trying on bathing suits, which is, I mean, a horror story. I was there actually because I had joined my grade nine swim team and I needed to be suited for our team bathing suit. So I was there with my mom and, you know, that was the day I became a woman, as they like to say. I was not prepared. I cannot stress this enough. There was little to no preparation done whatsoever before my period. And again, it sounds so crazy to say out loud now because it's not like we didn't see it coming. <laughs> it's not like we knew that this wasn't going to happen. And especially with a female with a bleeding disorder, that, that was a detrimental mistake. I, have a, I had at the time a male hematologist, so I was still being uh, followed by pediatric care. I like to say this a lot on my talks when I talk about you know needs and care for women, especially. Our hematologists are incredible, male, female, and everywhere in between. They're knowledgeable, they're compassionate, they're caring. However, there is a difference when you are a female talking to a male about your period, especially when you're 15 and you'd rather be anywhere else. So having a male hematologist had a lot to do with my period story and my care story. Um, 
And I learned a lot about that, about myself, but also about the expectations I had for my hematologist at the time and how the expectations were put on me quite a bit to share that information as opposed to them asking the pointed questions about what they were looking for, especially for a 15 year old or even young. The pressure really was on me to make sure I was giving them the correct information because I wasn't really being asked the correct types of questions. And that could be because the, a male hematologist doesn't live with this type of care. It could also be that there wasn't a lot of research or there wasn't as much conversation happening at the time, at least when I was 15. For context, I'm now 31. There was, I was doing no tracking. So when I say tracking, and I'll get into this a lot a little bit later, tracking essentially means you're tracking the types of products you're using, how often you're changing them, and the level of bleeding. There are lots of different ways to do this. At the time when I was menstruating, it was the period journal that it was a book that they gave you at the hospital that you carried around in your backpack, which I was not game for because there was no world where I was carrying a period journal around in my backpack while I was in high school. However, I will, like I said, I will get to tracking later, but the moral of the story here is I was doing absolutely zero tracking, which ultimately led to no data. So I would go into appointments really unprepared and therefore I really wasn't getting the benefit of the appointment in return. I wasn't on any type of treatment. So ironically, I knew exactly when my bleed was going to happen. I knew how long it was going to be. And I had a pretty good idea of how much blood loss or how much uh, product I was going to use in relation to blood loss. And yet treatment was never a conversation that was had. I was frequently over bleeding. So bleeding through products, bleeding through clothing, bleeding while I was sleeping. Um, it led to, ultimately it led to me having severe anemia. My digits were in the singular and double digits for both hemoglobin and ferritin. It led to me going on a number of iron supplements, whether they, I tried oral, I tried injections, I tried pill form, I tried liquid form, I tried diet. But ultimately my levels were so low that nothing was going to have an impact to what I needed. And they ended up having a direct transfusion, blood transfusion, to get myself back up again. And then the end of my story, which again, we'll break it down a little bit more in detail as we go, it ends with me getting an IUD as a form of birth control, and which ultimately changed my, the entire trajectory of my period story. Okay, so here's what I've learned. So essentially, I'm going to go through what I wish I had known and the reality of what actually happened to me. And hopefully by doing that, some of those tips and tricks will, will be helpful for you as if you're starting this journey, if you're still in it, or if you are trying to navigate it for somebody else. So start having your conversations early. So for me, when it came to having conversations early, what ended up happening was I don't, I'm an, I'm a member of an unaffected family. So my parents threw themselves into every type of research, every type of reading. They sought out the Canadian Hemophilia Society, which led us to Hemophilia Ontario. And, but there really wasn't a lot of information available. And my, my mom, especially, who menstruated herself, she didn't have a benchmark for what my experience was going to be like. She could only speak to her own experience. And at the time, when we were coming up through the Hemophilia Ontario sort of organization, there weren't a lot of women present. I... Still to this day, the most peer interaction and the closest friends I have within this organization are male, which I love. However, it's not something I could ever really talk to them about that they would understand. They were always empathetic and I made them listen to me because I'm that kind of person. 
But at the same time, I wasn't getting a lived experience from anybody. I didn't have any effective peers. I didn't really have anywhere to go. I, I couldn't find a lot of literature. And at the time as well, when you're 15, this isn't something you want to make your entire life story. You kind of want to push it into your corner, your little shame corner, and it's happening and you're proud of it. But at the same time, you're not always open about talking about it. And for me, I really wish that that had been different. I really wish that I had owned this part of my life earlier. It is amazing. It is beautiful. However, at the time, that wasn't, some, that wasn't the way I saw it. So I sort of had this silent battle with a huge part of my healthcare, not only as a woman, but also as a woman with a bleeding disorder. This was my number one bleeding concern. And yet we, I was, wasn't talking about it to anybody. And nobody even really knew in return what to ask me to get the conversation going. So it was sort of a twofold problem. There was no OB-GYN involvement. So I was just attending my regular hematology appointments once a year two times a year if I'd had a bleed. Oh, sorry, a bleed that wasn't a period, I should say. There was no conversation about me seeing an OB-GYN. They were considered sort of a specialist. So if I'd had an issue or a problem, that's when I would be referred out to an OB-GYN. And again, I didn't have any relatable experiences to work off of. What I wish had happened, I wish earlier I connected with an inherited bleeding disorder, which is IBD, OB-GYN. I now consider an OB-GYN a vital and inarguably one of the most important members of a female with bleeding care team. They do exist, by the way. Um, they are trained in hematology-related obstetrics, obstetrics gynecology. I eventually did find and was referred to a IBD OBGYN, but it wasn't until I was well into my 20s. And just having those conversations with somebody who's strictly talking to me about my reproductive health was really a game changer for me because when you go into your hematology appointment, you're covering a lot of different topics, but this was the one thing I really needed to deal with. So I really wish that that had been an option for me when I was younger that, and preventatively to my period and having pre-period conversations before the period had started. What could be my potential outcomes? What should I be looking for? Um, how will my overall health change? And I wish that we had explored more treatment options from the beginning, um, that they should have been a part of the conversation at the beginning of my menstruation, and then I, maybe I wouldn't have had so many issues that I ended up having. Prepare. So what I wish had happened, sorry, what did happen? There was no preparation whatsoever. Like I said, even though we knew this was something that was going to be coming, we sort of had the mentality of when it happens, we'll deal with it. When in reality, there was a lot of preparation that we could have done. I didn't have an emergency kit, which I'll get to and what I wish happened. We didn't do any product research, which I'll get to, and there was no team approach. So what I wish had happened, I wish I'd had an emergency backpack kit. So again, I happened to have my first period. I wasn't caught too off guard in the sense that I was with my mom. I wasn't at school at the time or in a social situation. My first experience actually was quite nurtured and I had people there that cared about me and were able to help me right away and people that I trusted. However, I still wish I'd had the emergency backpack kit because I can't tell you how many times I went to school and bled through something and wished I'd had something in my bag that I could have grabbed and confidently changed into and not had to worry for the entire day had I covered myself properly? Was it going to continue to get worse? Did I have the correct amount of products? I wish I just always had like a go bag in my bag, ready to go. I knew it was there. It was my safety blanket. And I never, I never got there because I think I always just wanted to assume that my experience eventually would be normal and I wouldn't need it. 
when in reality, I just wish I'd always had it. It would have made me feel so much more comfortable and I wouldn't have been so anxious. Product research and explanation. So this is something that I see a lot of value in now, especially when it comes to educating young girls and young women. It's something I wish that I'd done myself. So when it came to using a products, I'm talking pads and tampons, Diva cups, et cetera. They also have Thinks underwear now. So the underwear that actually has the pad inside, you just wash the underwear, it's reusable. I've had very good reviews on that, I've heard as well. When it came to product research, I didn't do any. And therefore, when it came to me having to use those products, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. So you've got your light, your super light, your thin, your flexible, your super, your extra super, your dynamo super. You've got all of these types of products. What makes them different is their absorbency and the, and the amount of coverage that you're comfortable with on top of what you're comfortable, whether it's inserting into your body or outside. These are all things I know now. They weren't things I knew at the time. So I frequently had to trial and error my way through these products while I was actively bleeding, which is the wrong time to be doing that research. At that point, I needed something that was secure, that I knew I was going to be comfortable with, that I knew I wasn't going to have to worry about, and that I knew was going to meet my needs. So doing that product research ahead of time is something that clinics have started to do, and I'm really happy to see that. But if your clinic is not doing it, I recommend maybe having that conversation or even doing it at home. So buy a bunch of products, tampons, pads, Diva Cup, and just play with them, for lack of a better word. Try their absorbency. So fill a cup with water, see how dip the tampon in, and see how much comes out. Wow, that absorbed a lot of water. Therefore, that would absorb, absorb a lot of blood try a pad, try maybe a diva cup, just really break them down and see, at least have the education of what you feel like you might need and what's going to be comfortable for you. Don't deal with it in the moment when you really, really need it. I wish that I had done that. And have a team talk. So I wish we'd all connected together. My family, my healthcare practitioner, so my general healthcare practitioner, my hematology team, I wish we'd all sort of been on the same page of, you know, this is coming, let's prepare, here are the potential outcomes, here's what to look for. We all kind of fragmented and got together again when it was happening, but at that point we were all doing, playing catch up. And we didn't, that wasn't the time for catch up. We should have been better prepared at the beginning. So your support network. So for me, again, I didn't have anyone to talk to. I didn't have any female with IBD, inherited bleeding disorder experience. I didn't have any references or having, I didn't have a jumping off point. Again, I just kind of threw myself into the deep end. And I should say, again, I've got a very involved, loving, supportive family. And my mother wanted to do everything she could. But again, she had, she didn't have this lived experience. So she was learning it with me as we went. And I always had someone to go to. I wasn't alone. But there is a difference when it comes to living with this and having conversations like these right now. What I wish had happened was these conversations, this type of education, and this type of networking. And that's what we're here to do. And that's what we're hoping to continue to build. You know, can we continue to build this education, these resources? Can we get girls together so they're talking? Can we get teams together so they're talking? Can we connect with these healthcare practitioners outside of the clinical setting and get them actually hearing the questions that these girls have, not the ones they're too afraid to ask? in the doctor's office. So that's a network that I didn't have and I wish that I did. And I'm hoping now that I can be a part of creating for the girls who are coming through. Plan ahead. So this is, this is a bit different than prepare in the sense that 
this is speaking about times where I was out of my comfort zone. So whether it was on a vacation, at a sleepover, whether I was going away for the weekend, I was a girl guide. I frequently go camping with them. I, I went to summer camp. I went to Wanakita for those who are aware for six years. And then I was a counselor for another four years. So you know, being outside of your, oh, I can just run to the drugstore or, oh, I know, I know I have that supply in my locker or, oh, I know I have that supply under the sink in my bathroom. So again, I wasn't prepared as usual. Uh, it's very frequent in my story. I was unable to find the products that I needed and I was anxious the entire time I was there. So this happened a number of times to me, whether it was on a trip, whether again, it was away, I couldn't just okay, I don't know where the local drugstore is. I get there, they don't have the materials that I need. I only consistently ever used super products. I couldn't even entertain something lower than that or less absorbent than that. And frequently I was using a tampon and a pad underneath because I was afraid of bleeding through. So I was, that was a comfort thing for me. So, you know, I came with quite a plethora of resources when it came to when I was on my period. And if I couldn't get those resources because I hadn't prepared for them, I was anxious the entire time. I was constantly ruining my own experience because I hadn't come prepared and I hadn't planned ahead. So what I wish had happened, pack it just in case every single time. Even if you have tracked your period, you're not supposed to be on your period. Even if you, you know, know that you're pretty confident you'll be able to find it at a drugstore. Even if you think you can ask a friend, just pack it anyway. I guarantee you the peace of mind. Uh, the worst case scenario is you unpack it when you get home, right? You put it right back where you pulled it from and you never ended up needing it. You know, the worst case scenario as well, if you don't have it and you can't find it, it's going to just play on your mind the entire time. And that's something I wish I'd known. Every single trip I went on after that, I always had it. I had more than I ever would have needed just in case. I just felt better. Have backup options as well. So in the event that you maybe aren't sure what you're going to need while you're away. You can pack extra pairs of underwear, extra pairs of pants. Whether you run out of product and you can't find more, you have somebody else maybe carrying some for you who's coming on the trip, or uh, you have those conversations beforehand and track your cycle. So you should never, have, you should never have to be caught off guard. So again, if you are unaware that you have, you're not tracking your cycle and you happen to be unaware and you go on a trip and then it catches you off guard, right? So pay attention to your cycle, track it, notice those patterns. So you, then you can plan ahead and make sure, make sure that you'll always know what's going on. All right, track your data. So I was talking about this a little bit earlier. So what happened to me was I had very brief connections with my hemophilia treatment center. So when I would go in for my hematology sort of annual appointment, we would go through my overall health and my reproductive and menstruation and period health was a small subset of that. So we had really brief, it would go something along the lines of, How's your period? And I would say, it's fine. How's your bleeding? It's, do you have any concerns? No. And that was kind of it. And those weren't the correct questions to be asking, but at the same time, I wasn't offering up a lot of information. So my connections with my hemophilia treatment center were pretty brief. I didn't see the value in tracking my data. I didn't see the value in living in my period so intimately that I was tracking everything that was happening with my body. I hated the period journal. I said this earlier, it was a book about the size of a regular storybook. It was huge, it was about this big. And the idea was you flipped through it and you manually tracked your cycle. So you would track the date, you know, the date period that you were on it. And then you would track the number of times you changed products, what the products were, what the absorbency was. And that was kind of it. But the idea of having it in my backpack that I would pull out 
in a somewhat safe and discreet location to write in my period journal. I was not about that afraid of someone seeing it. I was nervous. I didn't like the idea of having it. So ultimately I didn't do it. And in the end, what ended up happening is my treatment center and I were both uninformed of what my healthcare was really doing and what was happening. So what I wish had happened, I cannot stress this enough. You have to track, 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 track your data. There are tons of ways to do it now. There are apps that you can do it with. There are calendar options you can do it with. You can do it on your phone. You can do it on your computer. I do recommend doing it in something that you have on you all the time. So I, I do really recommend using an app that's on your phone. It's very rare that we're ever away from our devices. But the reason I recommend that is if you're relying on something at home, for example, so your computer or a book that you'd like to write down, if you have to go through your entire day and somehow remember all of the things you have to write down later, it's going to skew your data. And what's really important about data is that numbers and information talks. When you go into clinic and you come prepared with data and information, not only is your case inarguable because there are times where people have to argue their care, especially women, to be taken seriously, um, it's also right there on paper. Your doctor, or your hematologist can look at it and say, okay, this is valuable information. Now that I have this information, let's talk about your treatment plan. But if you come in uninformed and say, yeah, I'm using about four tampons a day. Most of them are soaked. Can't remember how long my cycle was exactly. It's difficult to draw those lines and make those connections for your healthcare practitioner as well as yourself. You don't sound very confident. They're not confident in treating you. So therefore, ultimately nothing ends up happening. I also recommend an app that you can track other things. So I've had other types of concerns with reproductive health, whether it be discharges or odors or feelings or connections to my mood or connections to my level of lifestyle. How much energy do I have? What am I craving? That kind of stuff. And I could never really put together what or pain that I was having. I could never quite put together if they were connected. So I use an app called Clue, C-L-U-E. I love it because not only does it track your period, and if you're trying to get pregnant, it also tracks your pregnancy cycle. It also tracks other things, and you can completely customize it. So it can track your cravings. It can track your exercise level. It can track discharge, odor. It can track you know, your emotional connections. It can track a lot of things. So I ultimately consistently did it for three months even when I was not on my period, which I will get to later. And I noticed a lot of patterns that ultimately I could take to my doctor and say, hey, I'm noticing these patterns. And it led to a diagnosis that I probably wouldn't have got otherwise. So it's really important to track everything that's going on, not only for yourself to notice patterns, but to also take to your caregivers. Okay, so monitor your overall health. This one is really important as well. So I considered my period a separate part of my healthcare and I normalized it. So this is something I have to live with. This is just my experience. This has nothing to do with my other healthcare. Like my period is my period. The flu is the flu. Um, a cold is a cold. This pain is unrelated. Um, why I'm so tired, unrelated. I didn't make those connections. And I completely normalized my period because it was something I was always expecting to. I wasn't making connections to my period to other parts of my healthcare. And ultimately what ended up happening was I ended up with severe anemia, which I spoke about earlier. So what I wish had happened is I wish I'd had paid attention to things that could benefit me by paying attention to my period and how it connected to the rest of my body. So for pain management, for example, lower back pain, cramping, I'm quite fortunate that I didn't experience a lot of these things. The biggest thing for me was I would get headaches. I would always link it to dehydration. So I would drink a lot of extra water 
But I'm realizing now that there were patterns to my headaches and it had a lot to do when I was menstruating. What I wish had happened, again, I ended up with severe anemia and we weren't consistently tracking my iron. So even though there was the understanding that I was losing a lot of blood monthly for at least a week, if not more, we didn't, no one ever thought to track my iron to make sure that it was staying stable alongside this blood loss. So by the time we caught on and I started taking consistent iron management tablets or all the regimes I tried, it was a bit too late. My body had to be essentially reboosted back to where it was, which ended up with me having a transfusion. But if I had looked at my overall health care and not just focused on my period, I would have noticed how tired I was, how my diet had changed, how I had severe pica. For those who don't know what pica is, it's the urge to eat things like crushed ice or things that don't give you any nutritional value. It's, it's a craving that you have or things that don't give you nutrition. Some people will take it to another extreme and they'll eat things or they'll, they'll feel the urge to eat things like detergents or soaps that smell like they would taste good. For me, I would get home every day from school and eat an entire cup of crushed ice. I would think about it all day. It was on my mind constantly. So I didn't think to connect all of these dots together because I was so focused on my period means I bleed and then it ends and then it starts again, period. Had I done that connection to my overall health, I would have put these pieces together a lot sooner. I would have got on iron management and it wouldn't have gotten as bad as it did. I have this in caps for a reason. Don't normalize your period. Just because it happens, just because it's natural, just because it's something we're expecting does not mean that your situation is normal. There's no normal way to bleed compared to your sisters, your, your peers, your mother, your grandmother, your family. Don't normalize your period. Essentially what ends up happening is you say, you know what, this is just the way I bleed. It's not the way that other people bleed, but this is my reality. By doing that, you're creating a barrier to seek care. And it's not normal and that's okay. But by addressing that it's not normal, you start to be able to deal with it sooner. So do not normalize it. It doesn't have to be scary. It's absolutely not scary. It's livable, it's manageable, and it's kind of what makes us women. And in a way, depending on how you look at that, it's either a really beautiful thing or it's something that seems really unfair. So, but what it is, what's going to help it is by recognizing it for what it is, not normalizing it, and, and dealing with it. My hematologist likes to tell me, I also have lots of nosebleeds. So uh, I would frequently go into her clinic and she would say, you know, so how's your, how's your, how have your bleeds been? I said, I've had a few nosebleeds lately, but they haven't been a big deal. And she said, oh, what do you mean not a big deal? And I'd say, well, I've only been about 15 or 20 minutes, you know, not a big deal at all. So, and she'd kind of look at me sideways and say, do you know anyone else in your life that has a 15 minute nosebleed and considers that normal? I said, well, no, but you know, they're not me. Like I'm not normal. And she said that that doesn't mean that this is normal. That doesn't mean that you have to create a new normal for yourself. That's not normal. So you should, you should be treating it. Like you shouldn't normalize something just because it doesn't seem severe to you. It is severe and let's deal with it. So ever since I had that conversation with her, I've really shifted my perspective to the rest of my care and I'm preaching it to everybody. Do not normalize your condition and do not normalize your period, especially. Advocate for treatment. Okay, this is not the kind of treatment that I mean, but this is typically what women do, which does make you feel better. Uh, however, what I mean is advocate for treatment that's going to actually improve your care. So what happened to me? I uh, didn't have any treatment for bleeding. I didn't have any extra specialized care. I just had my regular hematology appointments. I was given the pill at first. I disliked it. I, I used tricycline low. It was prescribed to me simply because it was one of the only options on the market that had a low 
dosage. And the reason low dosage was the only type that you could take as someone with a bleeding disorder was the risk for blood clots was much lower. So I was on that for a few years. I didn't really notice any difference. I didn't like the overall effects it had on my body versus weight gain. I didn't have a lot of mood swings or those types of scary side effects that people do hear from having being on the pill uh, because I was on a low dose, but I just felt that it was something I was had to remember to put into my body at the same time every single day, which brought me stress having to remember. And then on top of that, I wasn't really seeing any benefit from it. And then eventually, again, without treatment, without intervention, my levels completely bottomed out and I ended up uh, anemic. What I wish had happened, I wish the prophylaxis conversation had happened at the onset of my period. This is a bleed. I think people need to shift their mindset, especially women with bleeding disorders. Although this is a natural bleed, and it's something that isn't coming from trauma or a head bump or a bang or a scrape or you falling over, this is still a bleed. There is, there is you are bleeding actively. And yet the prophylaxis conversation, because it's considered a natural bleed, is something that's sort of still up and coming and very new. So now that we're living in the world that we're in and the clinics have sort of caught up to this and the research has caught up to this, it, you are well within your rights as always to advocate for prophylaxis. So that could be whether you're on a, an an infusion prophylaxis. It could be that you're on medications like uh, cyclocapron, which is, a, is an oral pill that a lot of women with bleeding disorders take. The bottom line is it needs to at least be a conversation that you, I know the care is so good these days. I know quite a few of my male friends who have hemophilia because they've been so proactive in their care and the treatment is so good. They've actually never had a bleed in their life. And I flip that on them and say, I actually know when my bleed will happen. I know how long it's going to be. And I know that it's a guarantee. And yet I've never been given prophylaxis. This was a few years ago. And that conversation really shifted the mindset for I think a lot of people and saying, you know, that's really interesting. Why is, has that been such a barrier? So we, I did begin to explore treatment options later and I ended up having an IUD and it was life-changing in my situation where I essentially stopped having a period. So I have not had a period for eight years and it has been a massive change on my healthcare. It has been a massive change on my overall health. It is not a guarantee for everybody. Of course, we all react differently to different types of medications. However, it was actually recommended to me within one of the first appointments I had when I transferred to a women's bleeding disorder clinic. And in that I was connected with a women's bleeding disorder OBGYN. And on that note, did you know that there are two established women's bleeding disorder clinics in Ontario, and you can be followed by one of them. If you are willing and able to commute to one of the clinics, you can ask to be transferred to their center. There's one in Toronto. It's run by Dr. Michelle Schulzberg. Philomena Meffi is their gynecologist. Jillian Baker is a pediatric hematologist uh, who also covers all of the uh, pregnancy and prenatal patients. And then there's Rachel Martin, who's the anesthetist. And then in Kingston, we have Dr. Paula James, Dr. Marianne Jameson, Lisa and Megan are the HTC nurse coordinators. They are also the clinic who runs the initiative Let's Talk. So if you are interested in being followed by a women's bleeding disorder clinic, the only prerequisite is that you are able and willing to travel to your appointments. I know someone who lives in the North and who travels to Toronto once a year because they like to be seen by a women's clinic. But ultimately what I wanna leave you with is Periods really don't, they don't have to be scary and they shouldn't be. It's not something to be afraid of, but it really is something to be prepared for. And it's something that for, for me, I really hope that you take a proactive 
role in your care. Sometimes it can be embarrassing to talk about. Sometimes we're really uncomfortable with it, but the more comfortable you get with it earlier, the easier these conversations are and less of these barriers hopefully will be presented to you because you'll be prepared, you'll be willing to talk about them, and you'll be a bit more forceful for getting that care than I was and that I wish I had been. The Flow is presented by Herewax, a female-focused extension of Haemophilia Ontario, a not-for-profit dedicated to supporting the lives of those living with inherited bleeding disorders, in partnership with funding by Octopharma. Find us online at www.heroix.ca. That's www.heroix.ca for resources, research, and support from our community. Listen, subscribe, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.